Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Cameron and I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Canterbury Gardens. And it's a privilege to once again uh, be with you this morning uh, to, I guess, look at God's Word together. And for those of you who don't know, we're in the book of Ezra. For a few weeks now, we've been there. And, and we have actually have really good news uh, for you this morning because you'll know that last week, if you joined us, you'll see that we faced a really difficult passage about facing the opposition and persecution as Christians, that this is something that we necessarily have to face. Um, and it was a pretty difficult chapter. And, and we saw in it that even though uh, the people of Israel had gotten off to a really good start in chapters 1 to 3, where God had stirred the hearts of the people and the king and enabled this work to be done, that they could go back to Jerusalem and begin to build, to be, begin to rebuild. We saw that it got off to a great start, that they'd built the foundations in chapter 3, they built the altar, and things were going well until last week, where everything just came to a crashing halt. The work of God stopped and we saw that it ceased for 14 years. And we saw the reality that that the people of God doing the work of God will be persecuted. It's a certainty for us because we follow a persecuted Savior. And so that's what we saw last week. But the good news about today's passage is that as we come to Ezra chapter 5 and 6, we're going to see the ways in which God overcomes opposition, the way that God overcomes the persecution that we face as followers of God. And so really it's the second half of what we began last week. Because yes, we know that opposition is a certainty for us as Christians, but also it's a certainty that God has, can enable us to overcome that opposition. And so we're going to see two things today in this passage, in these two chapters. Two things about the way God helps us to overcome opposition. And then we're going to also see one thing that's a result of that. So three points, two ways God overcomes opposition. And then one thing that flows out of these wonderful truths. Once again, I want to encourage you to have God's Word in front of you, to open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 5. Uh, we're going to start from verse 1 and read both chapter 5 and 6. Michaela's going to be doing that today. So once again, make sure it's in front of you. It's not going to be up on the screen. Follow along with us in the story and really put yourself in the story um, so we can really get our heads around what's happening. So Ezra chapter 5, starting from verse 1, Michaela's going to read that for us. And just before she does, I'm going to pray for us. I invite you to, to pray uh, for yourselves, to pray for others who are listening this morning, and also to pray for me. Let's pray. Father, we once again um, come before you this morning uh, with our hearts open uh, before you, asking that through your word you will speak to us by your spirit. We pray, pray, Lord, that you'll reveal in our lives any areas that are not submitted to you, that you'll reveal in our hearts any complacency or discouragement. I pray, Lord, that ultimately you'll help us to find encouragement through your word today and to be able to see the ways in which you, as an almighty God, can overcome any opposition that we face. And so, Lord, we just commit this time to you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Michaela's going to read those verses out for us now. I'll be reading Ezra chapter 5 and 6. 
Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethra Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. This is a copy of the letter that Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethro Bozani and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. To Darius the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? We also asked them their names for your information that we might write down the names of their elders. And this was their reply to us. We are servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people of Babylonia However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God shall be rebuilt. And the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, and that was in Jerusalem, and brought into the temple of Babylon. These Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazar whom he had made governor. And he said to him, take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building and is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem, and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives where the documents were stored, and in Ekbatan, the capital that is in the province of Media. A scroll was found on which was written a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the places where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury and also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took 
out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethra, Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews, for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I derise to make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethra Bozani and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered throughout, through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated themselves from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. They kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Well, thanks so much, Michaela, for reading those verses out. I know it was a long one, but we got there uh, in the end. So thanks so much for, for doing that for us. So we'll remember where we finished last week was that the persecution had come and the work of God had ceased. And it said that it ceased for 14 years. And we see in chapter 5, verse 1, that it picks up exactly 14 years later. And there's a new king 
that is ruling over the place, and his name is King Darius. And it starts by saying in verse 1 that Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, were prophesying to the Jews in the name of the God of Israel. So, so straight away, the verses highlight these individuals as central to what is about to take place in these couple of chapters. Now, look at, where, look at verse 2 and what it says. Verse 2 says this, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So we see here that the work on the temple actually restarts again. And, and I love how it mentions here the prophets once again. And it says that they were with them, supporting them. So the prophets were alongside those who were working in support of them. And so the text is obviously, in these first two verses, trying to draw our attention to the importance of these prophets in the work restarting and the work continuing. So we need to pause ourselves, pause for a moment and ask ourselves the question, who are these prophets and, and in what ways were they actually encouraging and helping in this time? Well, for those of us who know the Bible relatively well, these names of the prophets should be pretty familiar. Haggai and Zechariah, they actually have two books uh, devoted just to them in the Old Testament. And so if we want to know more about the context surrounding what's going on here, it, it makes sense to go to those books to see what they're saying. And so I want everyone, if you've got Bibles again, to turn to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. Now, I'll give you a little bit of time to get there because it's one of the smaller books that we probably haven't gone to often and it seems to always get lost amongst the other minor prophets. So Haggai chapter 1, and it's going to give us a really helpful context to exactly what was going on here because 14 years have passed. It's been a pretty decent chunk of time. So it's going to give us the context about the people and the ways in which these prophets were helping. And what we're going to see straight away in Haggai is it's set in exactly the same time as what we just found from Darius, King Darius's reign. Look at verse 1 of Haggai chapter 1. It says this, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. 
Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labours. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of the hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So in this short chapter of Haggai, we get a clear picture of the situation that was going on in this time. You see, what had happened is the persecution and hardship and opposition that the people of Israel faced had caused them to become complacent about the work of God. You see that clearly, right, particularly in verse 9 of what we just read, and it says this, My house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. And so we see this picture of a people who would experience this discouragement and opposition for 14 years. But during that 14 years, they'd become discouraged to the point where they'd become complacent about the work of God and, and had become too focused on building their own lives, building their own houses, getting all of their own house in order while neglecting the work of God. But we also see that they were so consumed with their own lives that it wasn't satisfying them. They had food, but it wasn't satisfying. They had drink, but it wasn't satisfying. Their money was being put in bags with holes in it. Ultimately, it was not bringing them joy, being, having, serving themselves. And so Haggai, we see, is firstly encouraging them to get back to work, to not be complacent in this time. But also, in verse 13, he's encouraging and reminding them that God is with them. Verse 13 says, I am with you, declares the Lord. So there's there's an encouragement against the complacency to get back to work, but there's also an encouragement that God is with them to do that work. And so this is lying behind verses 1 and 2 of Ezra chapter 5. So why don't we turn back to Ezra now in your Bibles? Back to Ezra chapter 5. And so verse 2 once again says that they started to rebuild and the prophets were there supporting them. And, and we know what that means now. They were encouraging them to stay focused, to get back to work, but also that the Lord was with them. And we see how important this ultimately is. That it's only because of the prophets and the words that they were bringing from God that got this work kick-started once again. It's that that gives the people the courage and the conviction to keep going. And that brings us to our first point. We see clearly the first way that God overcomes opposition. God overcomes opposition by encouraging us by his word through his people. So God's people had become complacent and discouraged. And what they needed was a reminder to focus on God's work. And an encouragement that God was with them. 
the prophets to come along and to speak words of life into them. And so I think the message to us becomes quite clear, does it not? And I think really there's a twofold encouragement for us at this point. The first thing that we need to ask ourselves and consider is, have we become complacent? Perhaps like the Israelites, you've experienced opposition and struggle in in your work and service for the kingdom of God. Perhaps there was a time in your life where you were really focused on on serving the church community and in serving those around you and sharing the gospel, in in loving others well. Perhaps you were even involved in a particular type of ministry, but it all just became too hard. Maybe you faced discouragement after discouragement or perhaps life just got busy and over time you've begun to be more focused on just getting your own world in order, just building your own house, keeping things going for yourself. Or perhaps you've had even a bad experience in ministry in the past and it's holding you back. You were particularly persecuted in your ministry or even from within the own church you found struggles. Or perhaps it's even in the season that we're in right now. Perhaps it's become all too hard to try and reach out to others and to serve God in this environment. And maybe you even find yourselves thinking, maybe like what the Israelites were thinking, We'll start again when things get a bit easier. Everything's all just a bit too hard right now. So let's just press pause and get back into it when things become a bit easier, when the opposition goes away. Well, let this passage be an encouragement to you to stay focused, to not become distracted by your own world. And our own concerns to the point where we're no longer reaching out, no longer remembering God's work and the call for us to to make disciples, to reach out to our community, to reach out to our fellow brothers and sisters within Canary Gardens and elsewhere, have we become complacent? But the second element here is, are we encouraging God's work in one another? Because did you notice that at this current stage, it wasn't the opposition that was holding back the work of God starting again. It was actually just the discouragement And then the prophets come and they encourage them by God's words and they're able to get the work happening again. And so I guess the question for us is, are we encouraging one another in the work of God? Are we going out of our way to encourage one another to keep going or or maybe even to start again? I've been so challenged by this this week because it's so easy to get discouraged, right? It's so easy to feel the pressures of ministry or of just living life for God but reminding people that God is with them, that they can make a difference through him, is such an encouragement. And I love the imagery that verse 2 gives. It shows how the people were getting back to work and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Is this what we look like as a church? Holding one another up with the word of God so that we continue in the work of God. Is there someone in our community this week that you need to reach out to? To encourage them to persevere, to try again, to keep being focused on God's work. This is not a time for complacency, church. This is a time for us as a community to be closer than ever. And the encouragement here is to step out of that complacency and to start the work of God. That's our calling. 
that's our calling. So the first way God overcomes opposition is through encouraging his people by his word, actually through his people. So why don't we keep moving? Uh, because we've only covered two verses so far and we've got 37 more to go. But don't worry, we're going to really speed things up now. So the first way we've seen is God overcomes opposition by encouragement through his words by his people. And then verse 3 is going to introduce us straight away to our next point. So look at verse 3. And it starts out with the words at the same time. So while this was all going on, at the same time, what we're about to read was happening. And so listen to this, verse 3. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province, beyond the river, and Shethar Bozanai and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. So we see here that as expected, the local officials are starting to once again come up and ask the people of God what they're doing. Why is this happening? Now, can you imagine how the people might have been feeling at this moment? Would they have been thinking, surely not. Surely this isn't all going to happen again. The persecution, the opposition is all going to start once again. They might have been getting a little bit nervous or tense about that. But look at verse 5. Verse 5 is key. But the eye of their God was on them. God's eye was upon them. And it says they did not stop working. They didn't give up, even though there was this potential threat, because they knew that the prophets were there. They were being encouraged to keep focused on God's work. They could persist. God's eye was upon them. And then, just like we saw in the previous chapter, these officials go away and they write a letter. It's almost exactly the same situation as in chapter 4. They get together, they write a letter with the intent of stopping the work that's going on. Now, we're not going to read out the rest of chapter 4, but what we see there is essentially they write this letter and it recounts what the Israelites replied to these officials when they came up to them. And it says how the Israelites replied saying that they had come under God's wrath and that God had, had actually destroyed Jerusalem and exiled them into Babylon. And yet they say that Cyrus, the king that we read about all the way in chapter 1, had issued a decree that they were able to come back to their land and to start this rebuilding process. And so this Tatanai asked Darius to check, the, to check the records to see if that was really true. Did Cyrus really make a proclamation that they could do this? And I suspect that these officials were probably thinking that Israel was just making this up. And so that kind of closes out chapter 5 for us. And we're left with this kind of cliffhanger moment. What's going to happen next? Is the persecution just going to start all over again? And you kind of wonder. And then we see in the beginning of chapter 5 that Darius finds the records and he finds that Cyrus really did make this proclamation. And then we read these incredible verses. Look at verse 6, and just want to read out a little bit. Verse 6 of chapter 6 says this. It's so amazing. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethabozani and your associates the, associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away 
Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders and for the Jews, for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river, and whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests of Jerusalem require. Let that be given to them by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also I make this decree, that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this, or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with all diligence. What an amazing lot of verses we just read there. What an amazing situation. What an amazing turn of events. You see, this situation where it seemed that persecution and opposition were about to start all over again, it's completely flipped on its head, and it actually becomes the very initiator of that work to start. And so not only are they given all that they need, but they're also given all the sacrifices they could want to worship God and to focus on God. It really is an incredible situation, and that brings us to our second point, that God overcomes opposition by his sovereign hand. You know, we saw in verse 5 that the eye of God was upon them. And really, the rest of chapter 5 and halfway through chapter 6, it's showing us what that meant. You see, these people had the courage to get things started back in start of chapter 5, but they didn't know that at the same time, the sovereign hand of God was already working to enable this work to keep going, to enable them to have favor before the king so that the work could continue. And so once again here, we see the sovereign hand of God. And we've seen this already, right? In chapter one, it was the sovereign hand of God that got the work to begin. It was the sovereign hand of God last week that allowed persecution that it would cease. And here we see the sovereign hand of God overcoming the opposition, stirring the heart of the king once again to allow this work to continue. And so we should be so encouraged by these verses. We can take great hope from them because that same God rules today. And we should take great hope, especially if we're in a season of discouragement and challenge, that God is sovereignly working in the background, even if we don't see it. And you see, it's this truth that actually enables us to take steps of faith into situations that look difficult. Because it's important to notice here that the people didn't know what was going to happen in this situation. They took this step of faith out of their complacency, out of their discouragement, and begun the work even when it looked like everything was just going to go the same way as before. But yet God was working for them because he was for them. And so let us take encouragement the sovereign hand of God is upon us for good and that we can patiently endure hard times and difficulty and continue to step out faithfully, knowing that God will work it out and complete the work, even in seasons like we're in right now. 
What an encouragement and what a motivation for us to take a step out of that complacency, to reach out to others, to, to engage with the work of God because the sovereign hand of God is upon us for good. So there's two ways God overcomes opposition, two key ways, by his word through his people and secondly, by his sovereign hand. Okay, well, let's get to our final point. We've seen the two ways that God overcomes opposition, and now we're going to see what that results in for us as a community. Look at verse 13. We'll just read a little section out here. Verse 13 says this, Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai the governor of the province beyond the river, Shetha Bozani and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by the decree of God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And so we see here that four years later, after much work and opposition, the work on the temple is finished. And notice what verse 14 said there, that it was finished by what? The degree of God, the God of Israel, and then also by the degree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, recognizing that it was God's hand ultimately that enabled this work to be completed. They recognize God's hand in all of this. And so the temple is finished, and, and then it's a cause for celebration. And we see this to finish off chapter 6, that the people celebrate. In verses 16 to 18, they bring sacrifices to the temple. They separate, they separate themselves from the people of the land, and they ultimately worship God. And then we finish the chapter with these words. Look at chap verse 19 to finish off the chapter. Here's what it says. On the fourteenth day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the people of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread, Seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Don't you just love that final verse? Look at what it says again. The Lord had made them joyful and, and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria towards them. What a moment here for the people of Israel. And ultimately what we see here is that, that God overcoming opposition by his word through his people and according to his sovereign hand results in worship and joyfulness to the Lord. And so ultimately that brings us to our last point, our third and final point. Seeing God overcome opposition to his work results in joy and worship. You know, may this, this final verses be a reminder to us, church, to celebrate the hand of God in our lives, in our church, in our ministries. God is at work, and that is a cause for celebration and worship of Him. Let us not be a people who pass over this quickly. 
who let the work of God become mundane in our lives, where we become numb to it and, and we don't celebrate the fact that God is still working in lives. He's still transforming. He's still uh, overcoming in, in the midst of us. These things are miracles and we need to allow these things to let us bring praise to God. But also I want us to see here, finally, to notice the flow of this passage that it was those who, all the way back in chapter, verse 1 of chapter 5, that it was those who were willing to take that step of faith out of the complacency and discouragement when things looked difficult. It was those who chose to be involved in God's work, to encourage others, to, to be involved in the work of God. It was those people who were able to witness the sovereign hand of God. And ultimately, it was those people who experienced the joy of the Lord, because they could see God's hand at work. And so let us be a people, church, who step out of our discouragement, out of our complacency, into God's work, to look for how we can be encouraging each other in that work. And perhaps for you today, it's simply just asking. If you don't know where to start, maybe it's just asking the leadership, hey, I have a little bit of time, how can I serve? Or, or, hey, I have a lot of time. How can I be of encouragement in this season? Or perhaps it's something else. You probably know better than I do the ways in which you can step out of that and to step into the work of God. Finally, I just want us to be encouraged here to see the contrast that has just happened in this passage. That stepping out into the work of God enables us to see the hand of God which results in the joy of God. What an encouragement this is to us. You see, do you remember back in Haggai chapter 1 when they were busying themselves with their own world? They, they'd forgotten the work of God and busied themselves in their own lives. And we got those verses that show that it never satisfied them. They had water, they had food, they had things, but it just never satisfied. But here we see that those who have stepped into the work of God, who have witnessed his sovereign hand, are experiencing a true and lasting joy. Such an encouragement for us in this season. But there's one final thing to notice as we close off in this chapter. You see, for those of us who know our Bibles well, we'll see that there's something missing at the end of chapter 6. We've seen that the people have finally finished the temple, they've, they've celebrated the Passover, they've brought sacrifices to God, and it's just a, an absolute scene of praise and worship to God. But something is missing. If you remember back to when the people of Israel finished the first temple, what happened was it was a very, very similar scene. They came together, they celebrated, they sacrificed to Yahweh, and then what happened was that the presence and the glory of God rushed upon the temple, and it was an amazing sight. It doesn't happen here. The glory and presence of the Lord doesn't come upon the temple. And it's almost this kind of anti-climax to this passage. Where is God's presence? Where is God's glory? It, it didn't come. Well, if we remember back to Haggai that we read earlier, later on in that book, he actually talks about this. He talks about how the Spirit of the Lord has departed from the temple, and he points forward ultimately to a time, a much better time, where God's glory and presence would actually come upon his people. And you see, that is what we're left with here in Ezra chapter 6. 
God's presence and glory doesn't come upon the temple because ultimately it's pointing us forward to a better time when God's spirit will come upon his people and we will actually become the dwelling place for God's glory. And you see, this has come about for us who are Christians today because of the work of Christ. He has actually cleansed us when we put our faith in him. He has made us a fit dwelling place for God's presence, that God's very Holy Spirit has come to live in us, to empower us, and to strengthen us. And you know what? This is all the more reason for us to be encouraged to step out into God's work, to do the work of God, because the very Spirit of God is within us to do that. In fact, Ephesians says that he has prepared good works for us to walk in. You see, this passage invites us to be reminded of the truth that God's presence didn't come upon the temple because it was going to come upon his people, and that would lead us to be able to do the works of God. And so, church, let's be encouraged to do that. Let's not be complacent, but to step out and encourage one another in the work of God. To have our eyes open, looking for the sovereign hand of God and the way that he is working things together for our good. And ultimately, to let this lead to joyful hearts and thankful hearts for the way that he is working. Why don't we pray together? Father, we just thank you so much for these reminders. We're so grateful, Lord, for the way that you overcome opposition in our lives, as displayed in this passage, Lord, that you uh, use the body of Christ to, to encourage us, that, that we're able to actually remind one another through your word of the fact that you are with us and that we're able to call one another to stay focused, to be reminded of the work of, of God that you've given us. Father, I pray that you help us as a church, particularly for those of us who are feeling a bit complacent and discouraged. I know that we all feel that a little bit at the moment, Lord, and so I pray that you encourage our hearts. Help us to be willing to take that step of faith, trusting, Lord, that your sovereign hand is already at work in this time. And so, Father, I just pray that you enable us to do that. Help us to have eyes looking for the way that you are working and, and to allow that to lead to true joy as we see the fact that our God is at work. He's alive and active in our lives, in our community, in our country. And so, Lord, we just pray for your help. Strengthen us by your spirit and um, enable us to do the work that you've laid out for us. And so, Lord, we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone.